Well, so for the past few weeks, we've been in uh, this first of the year series called Healthy Little Habits. And uh, if you've been around for a part of it or all of it, you know that we sort of in, in, in envisioning this series, we, um, we focused on the reality that there are so many voices in Aldea that have so much wisdom to share. It would be great to tap into some of that. And it really comes out of this notion that Aldea isn't uh, sort of a top-down community where we, if we're on staff, we, we dictate what this church is and what it does. We, we're really seeking to be, and we are, um, an open-source community, meaning everybody who comes to this church shapes it in some way. We bring into Aldea our passion, our experience, our perspective, um, and we create together this community. We are a collaborative community. That doesn't mean we don't have people who, like me, who at least part of our time work here um, and help shape it, but we make Aldea. Um, and so I have loved in this series that we've been able to hear a variety of voices from Aldea. So as we've talked through some of the healthy habits that we're encouraging, uh, in week one we heard from Dr. Jeff Hulls, who's a a uh, chiropractor who specializes in wellness, and he spoke to us on the topic of caring for our physical bodies and cultivating wellness and some of the habits that we can practice repetitively in our lives to cultivate that. And the second week, uh, we focused on uh, moving from the body to the mind, but really that mind-body connection. And we had the privilege of hearing from Dr. Stephen Pontebianco, um, who was part of Aldea, and he spoke to us on this connection between our mind and our body and how to cultivate a positive approach to our lives. Uh, last week, Mark Van Dyke spoke, and he talked about spiritual practice and uh, pulled in Melanie to, to share some of the time with him. And uh, and there's been just great feedback from all of these, and I think it's been a great series. And today we wrap it up by moving from sort of from our body, our mind, our spirit, into uh, one of the areas that is very uh, problematic. Uh, think about your love for maybe you, you misbehave with food ever, do you? <laughs> like there's a challenge in cultivating physical health that sometimes we misbehave with food and beverage. Um, or am I the only one? Like I know some of you well enough to know I'm not the only one. Um, or if we're cultivating our um, sort of our inner mind, our, our cultivating the sort of what we think and how our brain is functioning and what our mind is doing, uh, that sometimes thought patterns and habits leak into us that keep us from being exceptional in that way. Or if we talk about what cultivates a vibrant soul or spirit, that there are things that pull us away from that. D does this relate um, to your life? Um, the area that we talk about today and we're wrapping up on can provide endless amounts of challenge because we're talking about money. Um, and money and church always a sketchy connection. Let's be honest, churches are not famous for handling the issue of money well. Church is famous for being manipulative and awful when it comes to money. Um, but money is a great part of our lives. It's an important part of our lives. And so today, we have the privilege of pulling in um, somebody who's been a part of Aldea one way or another for about, well, just a little over 20 years, uh, Tommy Lynch. And um, if you know Tommy... Um, you know, there are several things about him that are clearly true. Um, he's from New York. It's hard to know him for more than 15, 20 seconds before you hear that. Um, he has the unfortunate burden to bear that he is a New York football Giants fan. It's a terrible, terrible thing that he carries around with him every day that he's trying to recover from. 
Um, maybe you don't know about Tom that Tom has a, a bachelor's degree in economics um, and was well into his master's in economics here at U of A when they canceled the program. I blame Tom. He killed the program. Um, and uh, uh, Tommy uh, worked on Wall Street for a little over 14 years. And um, in that very stress-free environment, um, uh, labored and uh, was actually a, a VP at J.P. Morgan and had great success there. But after 14 years, um, he'd had enough. And so he moved with his family here to Tucson, changed careers, became um, a high school teacher, taught Spanish, became a guidance counselor, helped all kinds of kids, was a, was a great teacher, and has still kept his hand in the world of finance uh, pretty much the entire time, up to this very moment in his life. And... Um, is a f something of a financial wizard, as well as an all-around great guy and one of my best friends. And so I am thrilled to have Tommy Lynch talk to you today. Would you give him lots of all-day love as he comes to speak? Thank you. Well, it's a privilege and an honor to be here today. First of all, let me start by saying that. Uh, I get to uh, speak about probably the hardest thing to speak about in a church, which is money. But I'm happy to be the cleanup hitter today. <laughs> I'll tell you that last year I drove down to Douglas, Arizona, and I had trouble finding a client that I was supposed to see, a potential client. And I talked to the postman. I couldn't find the, his, his home. And he said, oh, he's in that trailer park over there. You just passed it. So I drove around several times. I found a uh, dilapidated school bus on my left-hand side and some really run-down trailers, and I kept on driving around, and I couldn't find him, and I called him up, and he said, oh, is that you? Yeah, I live in the school bus. <laughs> so I went into his humble home, and uh, Bill was rather fond of, fond of his wine. We shared a couple of glasses of wine on a makeshift bed. And I was able to put him onto a nice Medicare plan where I gave him some, some great benefits. Uh, Bill is living in abject poverty. Or I could tell you the story about a gentleman whose home I went to this year, uh, a trailer here in Tucson. I was fending off some rather large pit bulls with my briefcase to get into his home, which I had a television and a couch that I was afraid to sit on. Holes in the roof, holes in the walls, buckets all over the place living in abject poverty. I could tell you about uh, Joan, a former client of mine, who was a school teacher, had a mutual fund portfolio of $100,000, paid off house and car, was 100% debt-free, who became disabled, but she was okay living on $1,500 a month. She had two cell, phone and two, two cell phones and two cell phone plans. I made the suggestion of getting rid of one of her plans and uh, apparently, I, I had asked her for a kidney. Um, you would, uh, so she wound up reverse mortgaging her home. She bought a new car and trailer, traveled the world, wiped out her entire savings, and now she can't even afford her medications. These are true stories. I could tell you about single mom Carmen, who makes about $35,000 a year, is $90,000 in the hole. She has a gorgeous truck with these beautiful chrome wheels that I'm envious of. And I suggested maybe going to a more economic vehicle. Apparently, I committed heresy. <laughs> um, the next time I spoke to her about her truck, she told me that she had just refinanced it, a liability. 
Then there's Virginia, who I consider an outlier. She's a school teacher, was a school teacher. She retired. Uh, she didn't make a lot of money uh, as a school teacher in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, but from her first, pers- first paycheck until her last paycheck, she, socked, she squirreled money away. And she has a six-figure portfolio, paper portfolio. She started renting out rooms in her home and now has five 100% paid-off rental properties, is 100% debt-free, and, um, and will never have another monetary worry as long as she lives. She's an outlier. Uh, the vast majority of my Medicare clients, many after a 45-year work history, have never saved a single dime in their lives. Years ago, I heard a sermon preached by a pastor who gave the secret to life with regard to our finances, and he said this, and I'm, I, this is pretty much a quote because I have a pretty good memory when it comes to this stuff. Spend less than you earn, invest the difference wisely, and do this over a long period of time. The pastor's initials are Kevin Skinner. <laughs> so with that being said, I guess uh, that's the secret to life, so I'm pretty much done. Um, but seriously, would you agree with me if I were to say to you that not a single one of us in this room is immune to poor decision-making and poor stewardship of both our time and our money, and that each and every one of us has room to grow in this area? Would you agree with that statement? Okay, only three of you are shaking your heads. <laughs> um, so one of my biggest challenges uh, well, is, is really to convert spenders into savers. This is no easy feat because we live in a consumer culture that has, we have access to very easy credit. The principles I'm going to go over today are biblically based. I will tell you that the pace will be brisk, so fasten your seatbelts. Okay? You'll, you'll notice on the tables, I, I'm, I taught in the school system for 21 years, so I, I, of course, have to have a cognitive organizer for you. So you have, uh, at the tables, you have a worksheet. If you want to follow along with me, there are some fill-in-the-blanks there for the lack of participation, and you're more than welcome uh, to do that if you are so inclined. Uh, so, Gary, let's go to that first slide. Uh, I want to ask you a question. Would you raise your hand if you can tell me to the penny within the last three months what you spent on groceries? To the penny. To the penny. All right. Yeah. You go. Yeah, baby. I only know one person. Now I know two people have done it. Uh, how about on entertainment? Very good. Okay. I'm going to get a partner up here in a second. <laughs> Whether it's debt elimination or wealth accumulation, every single program I have ever read about or coached people on has one thing in common, that you need to have three months of spending history, no exceptions. Okay, so one of the challenges I'm going to uh, throw out to you today is to, you know, some of our bills come in quarterly, so we need to know what we're spending. We need baseline data. Consider it a research project, if you will. Uh, And the reason I do this is because you need to find out where your problem areas are, what I call the latte effect. I have a client who makes $36,000 a year, and she spends $1,000 on coffee. Now, here's a newsflash. We all have a latte effect. The only way to find out what your latte effect is is to gather three months of spending data. So that's my first challenge to you. Carry around one of those little memo pads that you can buy at Walmart for a dollar, the dollar store for a dollar, and even your cash purchases and then come, go old school, put them on a spreadsheet, put it on a piece of paper, and get three months' worth of data, uh, three months' worth of spending history, because in God we trust. Everyone else, bring the data. I ask my clients, what are you spending on groceries? Oh, no, we don't spend more than four. They argue between each other. I says, well, 
show me the, uh, you know, the receipts, and they can't do it. So pretty much we're all guessing on what we're spending on it. We want to stop guessing. Okay, so three months' worth of data. So once we know where we stand, then we, then we can start redirecting our money because if we, um, if we don't tell them where our, mo- our money where to go, we're going to wonder where it went. Gary, next slide. The next thing I want to talk to you about is uh, establishing an emergency fund. If you don't have an emergency fund, one of two things is likely to happen. You'll borrow from your credit card at 21% interest, or you'll steal from your 401k or your 403b plan. I won't even allow my clients to start investing if they have no emergency fund. I've kind of drawn, the line is drawn on on that issue now because it's happened time and time again. Retirement savings is not an emergency fund. So we need to stop doing that. We need to get into the habit of putting money into a safe place and, and, and work toward getting uh, a couple, at least $2,000 initially in an emergency fund. Have a garage sale if you need to do. So I'll, I'll self-disclose a little bit here today. I'm not supposed to move around a lot. I like to move around, but I know it interferes with the microphone. Uh, so several years ago, I'm going to say around 2007, we had some catastrophic things happen to us in our lives. I mean, monumentally catastrophic and I had one son in a hospital here in Northwest Hospital in quarantine. They thought he had MRSA for days. A couple of weeks later, I flew out to California with my other son who was in the hospital for a week. And lo and behold, when I got the hospital bills, the insurance company said, pre-existing conditions. I spent, oh, I don't know, 12 hours, not even 12 hours in a hospital recently. My, my bill was $30,000. You can only imagine what my bill was after that. Shortly after that, or around the same time, I don't know, it it all gets jumbled up, we had bought a condominium in Tempe, Arizona for my son, uh, who was going to school there. We paid $150,000. It would cost $150,000. We paid $150,000, financed the entire thing. I think about five minutes after we signed the dotted line, the Great Recession started. (laughs) It It was perfect timing. Two years after that, we were $110,000 in the hole. The condo was worth $40,000. We were underwater. Could have walked away, should have walked away. Many people did. And uh, one of the things that happened to me in my life with one of my sons was so, so painful uh, that I can't even talk about it in church. It was so painful that yours truly was having suicide ideation. That's how bad it was. Okay. So the emergency fund is a key thing. We had more than six months in an emergency fund, more than, wiped out, and then some. Uh, Next slide, Gary. So a lot of financial advisors will tell you to put six months of your uh, needs-based expenditures, if you're copying on your your notepad, needs-based expenditures. So I want to see what the Bible has to say about this. I, I have a few verses here that are very uh, that kind of just came to me when I was doing this. It was kind of divine intervention, if you will. But would you read this with me, please? A la una, a las dos, a las tres. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. So here's my my advice to you. When you're setting up an emergency plan, don't consider Netflix an emergency. (laughs) Make it needs-based. So you have to look at, you know, food, clothing, shelter first, of course, you know, utility bills and things like that. I had one client, uh, this woman, um, 
whose husband lost his job. He was in his 60s. And they refused to pare down. They stayed in their big house. He refused to get a menial job, if you will, to, to make the bills. He had over $200,000 in his 401k. Instead of making changes, he decided to pull every single penny out over four years, every penny, and now has nothing left retirement for Social Security. And these are true stories. Okay? Sometimes I'm flummoxed by these decisions that people make, and that's just one of them. So if you're doing an emergency fund, my advice to you is make it a needs-based emergency fund, but be willing to... Uh, to not to have those unconditional wants, conditional, like Netflix. Okay, Gary, the next slide, please. Being to me, being debt free is the absolute cornerstone of financial and spiritual health. In Jesus' parables, there are over seven hundred verses on love, five hundred on prayer, less than five hundred on faith, but over two thousand references to money. The only thing that I could figure out is that he knew we were going to goof up on this area the most. <laughs> so uh, this Bible verse, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Next one, Gary. You probably heard this verse from the Bible. I think it's one of the most well-known Bible verses. The borrower is slave to the lender. I'm going to try not to drop my mic this time. And I recently uh, read this book 10 times, Early Retirement Extreme. I can't get my hands off of it. But the author, Jeffrey Lund Fisker, he, turn, he coins this phrase called a wage slave. And, uh, and I take it kind of one step further because Robert Kiyosaki says, not only are you a wage slave to your job, but when, by owing money to others, the credit card company, the mortgage company, the, the finance company, the car loan, for all intents and purposes, you're also a slave to your creditors. So let's go back to Virginia, my outlier. Virginia viewed these as her employees, these dollar bills. And she had these employees work for her every single month rather than having to work for them. And, and that is a big difference in terms of, of mindset. You know, sometimes we can be our, worst, our own worst enemies, and the best prisons are the ones with the invisible bars, the ones that we create for ourselves. Gary, would you give me the next slide, please? Okay, I'm going to give you a little uh, history of Tom Lynch. Tom Lynch used to be an altar boy, recovering Catholic. St. Francis, uh, St. Elizabeth in, uh, in Ozone Park in uh, Queens, New York, Woodhaven, Queens. And I remember when I was an altar boy the priest used to walk up and down the aisles with the holy water. You know, it was a little holy water sprinkler, and he used to, bless you, he used to, look at me, bless me, right? The holy water. (laughs) That's what he used to say. And he used to walk up and down the aisles and sprinkle us with the holy water. Well, here's what I've noticed from, from folks is they have a tendency to sprinkle money all over the place when it comes to paying the debt. And this is a really, really ineffective strategy. So did you see the movie, uh, This is 40?, with uh, anybody see that movie when she she told her husband stop eating donuts so i'm going to tell you today stop sprinkling stop sprinkling your money all around it's a habit that i see that people have all the time it's extremely ineffective so i'm going to give you some uh, some ideas on what to do to uh avoid that habit okay we're gonna 
First of all, if you're taking notes, we're going to put the fire hose on one very specific debt, and we're going to pay the minimum on everything else. Okay, if you're taking notes, stop sprinkling, put the fire hose on one debt, pay the minimum on everything else. Um, Next one, Gary. And you're probably asking yourself, well, which debt do I prioritize? There are lots of programs out there that tell you lots of different things. Is it the highest interest rate? Robert Kiyosaki will tell you to do that, you know, and that's okay. That's a strategy. Is it the lowest balance to the highest balance? Uh, Dave Ramsey will tell you to do that. And there are some psychological benefits of doing it that way as well. And I'm okay with that. Uh, There is a Chinese saying that goes like this. It doesn't matter whether the cat is black or white, only that it catches mice. (laughs) So either one of these strategies will catch mice. Uh, There is, however, one program that I use with my clients that is, I consider to be the most effective. It's based on some work done by John Commuta from Debt to Wealth. And to me, this is the the most effective strategy that I coach my clients with and coach people who just want to get out of debt. People come up to me and they thank me profusely. We stopped sprinkling. We just paid off the first car and the second car. We're working on the third debt. And I feel so good because they're so coachable. <laughs> so here's, uh, here's my, my uh, this is really kind of the crux of the, uh, of if you get nothing else from this, you know, really, I don't think God wants us to be in debt. I really don't. It, it puts a lot of pressure on us. It's still the number one cause of divorce in this country. Still, as far as what I've, what I've read recently. Gary, can you get me to the next slide? Okay, so here's the program. It's, you have it in your notes there. So if you have a question on it at the end, just let me know, and I'd be more than happy to help you with it. Uh, this is designed to give you the quickest raise possible, increasing your cash flow the quickest way that I know how to do it. Uh, it's not an exact science. I ignore interest rates. So does he. But what I do is I just start naming my debts in no particular order. I just want to put my debts down, and I want to put down what my total balance is on my debts. I have a MasterCard. I have a $10,000 balance, a monthly payment of $92. I divide $10,000 by $92. I come up with a number. It's a PFA number. I pulled it from the air. It's just a division answer. It actually has to do with the amount of months left to pay that loan off. Then I have my car payment. of thirty. I, have, I owe $3,700. I have a $200 payment. I divide 3,700 by 200, I get 18.5. Mortgage, 148.6. Payment, 758, 196. So what I'm looking for is the lowest division answer. The lowest answer. And tell me together what that payment is. One, two, three. $200 for the car payment. Very good. I just want to make sure you're awake here today. (laughs) So if I earn $2,000 a month, my take-home pay, and after all is said and done, my bills are all paid, I have $100 left over of disposable income per month. I'm going to take that $100. I'm going to add $200 for the car payment that I'm already paying. I'm going to put the fire hose on that car payment only. I'm going to pay the minimum on everything else. My whole focus is the car payment. Everything else is just noise, blah, 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 drown it out. Okay. The next slide, Gary. Once I pay off that car payment, my cash flow just went up by $200 because that's gone. I have the original 100 
I have $200 to, for the car payment. Now I'm going to take the $125 I was paying to the Tucson Federal Credit Union. Now I have $425 going toward Tucson Federal Credit Union. So this is kind of, this is, they call this a different thing. It's a debt snowball, a debt, debt cascade. And you can only imagine with time after paying off all of your debts that you are now able to plow, you know, $1,000, $2,000, whatever it is, into your retirement portfolio after you cascade your debts. Next one, Gary. And I'm not going to go through This is the last one I'm going to go through on this. Once the uh, Tucson Federal Credit Union is paid off, now I'm going to start attacking debt number three in the order, and that's a Chase MasterCard. And these are actual debts, by the way, by some, some clients that I've had. I just kind of jumbled them all together. 3978 is what I owe. This is my minimum payment. Oh, look, I got 100 plus the 200 plus the 125 plus the 72. Now I got $497 going toward Chase. We're going to repeat this process until every single one of these debts has been paid off. Okay, this is the most effective strategy I have seen. My clients use it, and uh, they think, I'm okay with those other strategies. Just have one, and just do it. Make it a habit. Do it with consistency. Um, Here's a really, really healthy habit. Gary, the next slide is we have had, me personally, my, my family, enormous success with this. We chart our progress monthly, every single month. And... Um, I want you to put it in a place that's visible. So as you're walking out of your, maybe it's your garage or, the, you know, we have a little window in our, our house that we put every time we go, we're looking at the chart. So every time we make a spending decision, we think of the chart. We say, oh, we, you know, we got to have to get out of debt, right? And you may, not, you may or may not have an accountability partner. You may not want one. But this could be your accountability partner, right, the chart. And you won't know where you are until you get your three months' worth of data. So you have to know where you are uh, when, it comes to, uh, when it comes to your debt. There's a, a very happy ending to the condominium story, by the way. And, uh, and here it is. We slayed that dragon. This is the actual, my actual chart. Okay, this was, this was the end of it, ja- uh, January of 15. This is January of 16. This is the last $31,000. And you know what I said when I paid that debt off? When I slayed that dragon? I said, rest in peace, expletive deleted. <laughs> you just breathed your last sulfuric breath. Okay, so I'm, I'm very, uh, if this stuff really, really does work, does it take sacrifice? Yes, it does. Does it take habit changes? You better believe it. Was it worth it? I can say that it was. But you have to post your progress. You have to know where you are month to month. Uh, I have been a part of uh, several uh, groups through the years, Crown Ministries um, and, and some other groups, and uh, have helped facilitate a lot of things. I'm going to just read something for you. And if you're interested in this, write it on your response card. Okay, here it is. This is from The Power of Habit. I don't know if you've ever read this book. But there is unfortunately no specific set of steps guaranteed to work for every person. We know that a habit cannot be eradicated. It must instead be replaced. Ellipsis. But that's not enough. For a habit to stay changed, people must believe change is possible. And most often, that belief only emerges with the help of a group. If you're interested in getting together 
in a non-judgmental group to help you with your finances, uh, it'll be organic. I don't know that I would do something on a specific you know, book or topic or Crown Ministries, but I am more than happy to facilitate that process. I am so passionate about this topic, and it's so important to me because uh, it's a lot more peaceful to go through life when you don't have debt. It really is. So think about that. Write that on your response card if you are so inclined. Okay. Okay, this is, I'm going to go through this rather quickly. Sometimes we get big tax refunds and we think we're doing a good thing by getting a large tax refund. Well, think about my debt chart that I showed you a couple of minutes ago. All of that money that you were waiting 12, 13, 14, 15 months to get back could have been used to pay off your debt. It's much better off in your hands than it is in the government's hands. Because the last thing we want to do is sow the seeds of retirement in government soil. <laughs> so if you're getting a tax refund, stop that habit. Talk to your accountant. Find out what allowance, what you need to change. Because uh, if you, especially if you have debt, imagine canceling that interest throughout the year. Okay, here's a little shock value for you. Conventional wisdom is, this is based on Monte Carlo simulation, and if I have a 3.5% withdrawal rate on my investment portfolio, my money should last me the rest of my lifetime, right? We assume the stock market gets about an 8% return. And so if I have a 3.5% withdrawal rate, if I'm withdrawing my assets, I should be okay, right? So here's what a capable really costs. I know some people in this room actually cut their cable bill. If I'm paying $100 a month for my cable bill, that's $1,200 for the year, right? I technically need, at a 3.5% withdrawal rate, $28,570 in capital assets to pay for that bill. So maybe next week when you see me, you'll have your little notepad in your pocket here, and you'll come up to me and you'll say, hey, Tom, I just, spent, I just saved $28,000. Because for all intents and purposes, you are by having to pay. So I hope that that's a lot of shock value for you when you put it in those terms of what I'm spending money on on any, any given bill. And uh, one of the things that I'm not a Dave Ramsey fan, by the way. I, he misses the mark on so many things, uh, but he's a good marketer. Uh, but one of, the, one of the things that he will tell you to do the first thing is cut the cable. It's one of the first things he'll tell you. And... Uh, you know, and, and the other thing that I'll, I mentioned this in the other service, but I'm going to mention it here today because, uh, you know, you think about it, you, you spend eight hours a day, a lot of us, in front of a computer screen, and then four or five hours in front of the television at night, and then we wonder why we're on cholesterol medication and depression medication <laughs> because all we have are virtual friends, right? Uh, next slide, Gary. So we want to, uh, one of the things that, that Jacob Lundfiska talks about is limiting waste, uh, learning new skills, insourcing, creativity. Kevin mentioned the collaboration today. And, uh, you know, he talks about it not being a tip list, but just a philosophical foundation and spiritual framework to embrace and follow daily. He says that tips don't work. It, it really, you really have to become this. And um, I, I was just thinking of this one, one verse here where moth and rust destroy and I just fixated on that all week because I started realizing all the stuff that I buy that I have to sell my labor in the marketplace. I have to sell my labor. 
And for what? It's going to go into, most of this stuff is going to go into a landfill. And that pains me. I'm just one little guy in Tucson, Arizona, and this thing broke on me. And it's never going to disintegrate if I throw it out. This is one, I'm just, like, that bothers me. You know, it really, really does. So sometimes we just need to be kind of creative with stuff. And uh, I didn't do this last service. This is new to you. <laughs> this thing broke. I was going to go to Lowe's last, yesterday because what's the first thing we think of? It's an automatic response. Go to the store, buy something, fix it, right? And I, you can't buy one of these. You have to buy 20 of them. I don't know how much it costs. So I, I said, I stopped myself. I said, well, let me go, let me come up with a creative solution for not putting this in a landfill. And, I mean, this is a silly example. I found an expired health insurance card. <laughs> and I stapled it to the back. I drilled a hole in it, and now it's stronger than it was before. Okay? So it, it takes a little bit of creativity. Here's a... <laughs> I'm proud of myself. Another thing that we did, uh, we were going to spend $240 on three benches in my backyard. And we, we have a nice fire pit. By the way, Jack hammered my pool a couple of years ago, and I filled it in. And I'm saving buku bucks with that. Uh, but, you know, we, we were going to go out and buy these benches. They were $80, these big cement benches. I said to myself, what creative idea can I come up with to not spend $240, you know, to put it towards something else, my Roth IRA? And I looked around my backyard, and I had these slabs of, uh, of uh, gosh, I can't think of the name. Flagstone. Flagstone, thank you very much. Flagstone, and I had some Windsor bricks. And I created these columns, three, six, nine, nine columns. And I took the slab, and I cut it with my grinder, and I, I have the most gorgeous benches in my backyard. It cost me zero. <laughs> Only because I'm being creative, and I'm thinking about, I don't want to buy things in the marketplace. And the other thing I'll tell you this, this is huge for me. I say this every time. When, I, when, I, when it comes to my diet, you know, health, and I'm in a situation where there, there are a lot of sweets around and, you know, rich foods, I tell myself success is one decision away. One decision away. And that's how I maintain a healthy body weight. Okay? When it comes to my finances now, my new affirmation, and I'm going to strongly suggest you do this, create an affirmation for yourselves. This is my affirmation. Financial freedom is one decision away. I don't care if it's buying, this may sound idiotic to you, a pack of gum. I use my tea bags now. Somebody taught me this trick two weeks ago. I use them twice. I put them in a Tupperware. But I paid off a $150,000 loan by doing these ridiculously simple you know, things. And I tell myself, financial freedom is one decision away, this decision. Okay. Uh, okay, next thing, this one is absolutely huge. Am I, I'm, am I over? I'm probably over. I am. Okay. Is it okay? All right. All right. All right. And uh, where's my envelope system here? Did I put it? Okay. This one was beyond huge. Remember I told you before we each have our latte effect? The Lynch's latte effect? Groceries. I have years' worth of data. Out of control. 100% out of control. So I created, I, I'm not a big believer in budgets and full blown, I'm really not. But I will tell you this it's very powerful if you find out what your latte effect is 
and then create an envelope system specifically for that, you know, maybe it's just groceries. This is so old school. Look at this. It's just an envelope. <laughs> and I made a spreadsheet of everything that we buy every week, and I just, and no more waste. I, you, know, you, you know how you go to the store, and you already had something, and you buy it because you don't know that you had it? Well, that's not happening anymore. Look at all the cash I have from week one, two, and three in my envelope. I have left over $65 from week one, one to seven, 19, eight to 14, and third week, $51 left over. Is that amazing? So that's my advice to you to create that one habit. Find out what your area is that you need to improve on. Create an envelope, at least for that one area, and then just do that on a consistent basis. It will do wonders for you and your budget and your finances. It has to be honest data, though. Look at every single budget item in your, um, that you have. You know, I'm going to use utilities as one example. We have a timer on our water heater. You know, it's on for an hour in the morning. If you come to my house at 7 p.m. to take a shower, it'll be a cold one, and there will be shrinkage. <laughs> okay? Um, <laughs> I'm going to read something to you very quickly here from The Power of Habit. And this is just so uh, powerful. Small wins are exactly what they sound like and are a part of how keystone habits create widespread changes. A huge body of research has shown that small wins have enormous power and influence disproportionate to the accomplishments of the victories themselves. Small wins are a steady application of a small advantage. One Cornell professor wrote in 1984, once a small win has been accomplished, forces are set in motion that favor another small win. Small wins fuel transformative changes by leveraging tiny advantages into patterns that convince people that bigger achievements are in reach. Okay? That's, don't think that the small wins are insignificant because they are certainly not. Um, okay. Groceries, uh, pay cash via groceries, definitely go to an envelope system. Uh, it is downright painful to pay cash. We were using our credit cards. You'll spend 20% more at the grocery store if you use a credit card. Pay the cash. Feel the pain. <laughs> uh, you know what? Ha- has anybody been nervous about the stock market lately? Only two people? Okay. <laughs> Three people. All right. You want to get a 400% return on your money? I did. You know how? I started cooking. I learned how to cook, make my own meals, right? I'm cooking in bulk, like on Saturday and Sunday. I, I, I actually enjoy it. It's a skill that I'm, um, that I'm developing. I found that, you know, these convenience items like this, like I buy the quinoa and the brown rice together, 90 seconds in the microwave, boom, done, 400% markup. I do it myself now. I chop up my serrano peppers, and I spice it up the way I want to spice it up, and I got a 400% return on my money. Is that cool? You don't sound as excited as I am. (laughs) Uh, So I'll tell you this. My son has gotten this into this vegetarian thing. He says, Dad, if you really want to do something that's good for the planet, start eating a vegetarian diet. So I make some vegetarian meals throughout the week. Like I said, I cook in bulk. And... um, so, and the other thing I'll tell you is, you know, seek out habits that have positive effects on both your health and your finances. Here's a simple example. I switched from, I switched from, uh, 1983, I stopped drinking soda. But imagine if you're spending a lot of money on soda, and then you switch to water. 
it has positive impacts on not only your health, but also your wallet. So that's one of my challenges to you today is to do that. And then lastly, entertainment, frugal habits. Uh, my son, when he graduated from, uh, from Auburn University, he had a professor who, whose message was develop a contemplative habit and do it daily. Mine is biking. I, the, they just cr- finished the loop here on, up on La Cañada. You can now bike all over Tucson without any vehicular traffic. It's my bliss. I don't care if it's meditation. And this kind of falls into place what we've been talking about the last few weeks, right? Develop something that's contemplative where you're not using money. That's my challenge to you. Uh, I, I like to bike. Uh, I love to hike as well, though my hip, I need a hip replacement. Pray, meditate, learn a new skill. Uh, years ago, Kevin and I went on a hike with our two oldest boys, and uh, we, we tried to get to the top of, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, Pima Canyon Trailhead. We were four and a half hours into the hike, exhausted, exhausted. And, uh, and we met some folks who were coming up the other end. They said we had another hour to go. And you know what Kevin said? We just re- redefined success for the day. <laughs> Sometimes we have to just redefine success when it comes to, to our finances as well. But that's a great habit to be in. Uh, I'm going to tell you another quick Is it okay if I talk another quick So. We, we, we hiked uh, Sabino Canyon years and years ago. I don't even know when. We were on a three-day fast, and we we're on the last day of a three-day fast, Kevin and I. We went to Seven Falls. We get to the falls. It was in April. I think it was around Easter time, right? We jumped into the water up to our necks. What's, what's the freezing temperature of water? 30, 32. I think the temperature of the water is 32.11. <laughs> There was some gentleman there who said, we never saw anybody's mouth open that wide. <laughs> and you know what we did on the way home? We, we were afraid we were going to miss the shuttle. We hadn't eaten in three days. We ran the trail home. It was a golden moment. It didn't cost us anything. It's a contemplative habit. So my challenge to you is to learn a new skill, do something contemplative where you're not spending money. Get your finances in order. I mean, this is important stuff. Speaking about, this is the, the wetlands in Tucson that I went on. I did a three-hour bike ride on Tuesday. I was watching the ducks. The, 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 it was so peaceful, the, the ducks, the turtles. It's right, I thought it was in another country. Next one, Gary. Learn a new skill. Start insourcing. You know, uh, the three things. <laughs> Isn't that great? Uh, the three, the three skills I'm working on this year are cooking, gardening, and bicycle maintenance. Those are the three skills I want to really work on this year so that I don't have to outsource to the marketplace anymore. I can be responsible. I can fix sheetrock. Last week, um, I, fi- I changed out a, a light fixture in my house because I know how to turn a screwdriver. <laughs> it would have cost me $150 to have the electrician come in to do that. I said, I can do this. I called my brother-in-law. Which, which screw does a dark wire go on to? The black wire. And he told me, and I just did it. I shut the power off, of course. Okay, next one is Robert Kiyosaki says, this is a good habit to be into. He's of rich dad, poor dad uh, fame. He says, look, set up three piggy banks, one for tithing, one for investing, one for saving. Put in, just make it a habit to do it every single day or every single week. Whether it's a dollar in each, $10, $5, do what your heart is telling you to do. Next one is... The older I get, the more I'm starting to realize that less is more, and I want to simplify my own life. I told you before, I have 
one client who lives in a bus and many who live in trailers. And one of the things that I'm starting to realize in my life, the older I get, is as I walk into my house and I see a living room on my right and a family room straight ahead, both with the same furniture in it, couches, 300 extra square feet that I have to heat and cool, store my stuff in, and I ask myself one question, why? It's things I'm just starting to reflect on myself in my life. My mom is about, I shouldn't say she's about to die, she's, about, she's 90, and, and her brain is shutting down. She has dementia. Her house is full of stuff. It's going to take us months to get rid of it. She has a mortgage at 90 years old, can't afford long-term care. We don't know what we're going to do. It's very sad. And then this is truly my last slide. <laughs> Would you read this? It's, this verse is just very uh, dear to my heart. And would you read it with me together, please? A la una, a las dos, y a las tres. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For I grow rich, I may deny you, and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So this is my prayer for all of us today. Um, that each and every one of us will have the courage and the determination to know what enough really is and work toward eliminating the waste in our lives and becoming better stewards of our time and money with God's grace and help redefine success. That's all I have for you today.